I'd ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're continuing our study of Hebrews, chapter 9. This morning will be in verses 1 through 10. Now, my senior year of high school, I made the guidance counselor of our school rather nervous. I went to a small private school, and they prided themselves on having a 100% acceptance rate to college for its graduates. However, it seemed as though I might be the one person who would make it so that all the brochures would have to be edited from saying 100% to 99.5% acceptance. Now, it wasn't that my grades were bad. They were above average, slightly. It wasn't that I didn't do extracurricular activities. I played sports. I was even the president of a student club. It wasn't even though even that I performed poorly on the SATs. I did okay. The problem was is that I applied to only one college, the University of Georgia. And my acceptance to the University of Georgia was far from a sure thing. Mrs. Lawrence was more anxious to hear back from UGA than I was. And finally, the day came when they sent out their acceptance letters. And guess what? I didn't get in. I wasn't completely rejected either, though. I was waitlisted, which means I wasn't their first choice. But if somebody they really wanted to go decided not to go, then they would let me come in. And so each time Miss Lawrence saw me in the hall, she would ask, Have you heard yet? Have you heard yet? Maybe do you think that we should apply to another college? And I would casually respond, not yet. I'm not sure why I was so nonchalant about the whole thing, but for whatever reason I had the confidence of ignorance and assumed that I would in the end be accepted. And so when I said not yet, what it meant to me was I hadn't yet received my letter of acceptance. It wasn't there yet. It was coming. I would be accepted. I just had to wait for it to come. In our passage for this morning, the author uses this phrase, not yet, in the same manner. You see, the not expresses the reality that something is missing. Something is not the way that it will be. Nevertheless, the yet is a word of confidence. It is a word of hope. And so, when my children ask, is the pizza ready? Not yet means what? Well, it's not ready yet, but it will come. And if you're willing to wait, there will be dinner for you. Look at verse 8 of our text of chapter 9. There we see this phrase, and the idea that is centrally important to our passage. It says, By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. The majority of our passage for this morning deals with the worship of Israel under the Old Covenant. This worship was centered at the tabernacle and later the temple. It was here that the presence of God was manifested in the most holy place. 
The tabernacle was the place where the people of God were symbolically brought into the presence of God through the work of the high priest. However, the whole old covenant system was saying to the people of God, not yet. Our vision as a church is flourishing gospel relationships in the people and places of the Rivermont community. And at the very heart of this vision to see these flourishing gospel relationships means that there must be a restoration of the relationship between a holy God and a sinful people. Somehow this relationship must be restored. And God's people must be brought into His, into his presence and experience the full abundant life for which we were created. And what our passage is teaching us is that in the Old Covenant, the answer given to those who would draw near to God was, not yet. It's not presently time, but a day is coming when all of God's people will be drawn into His eternal, blessed presence through Jesus Christ alone. So here now, The word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 9, we will be reading verses 1 through 10. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail." These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father God, we pray that you would allow your gospel to come to us, not in word only, but in power and much assurance and in the Holy Spirit, that we may be guided into all truth and strengthened unto all obedience and fulfilling your will with faithfulness. May we abound in the works of faith, the labors of love, the patience of hope, 
that we may finally be made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we come to our passage for this morning, one of the most important truths that we must have in place is the holiness of God. We must have a sense of the holiness of God or we will not understand all of the regulations that are put in place dealing with how it is that man might come into the presence of God. Of God. We must put aside any vain imaginations of God only and ever wanting just to make us happy. A God who is so desperate for our attention that He'll take whatever type of worship that we are willing to offer Him or make up on our own. For God is holy. And that means that if we are to worship this holy God rightly, we must do it as He prescribes in His Word. Look at verse 1. There we read, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. You see, as the author says, even the first covenant, in the old covenant, there were regulations for how it is that man was to come into the presence of a holy God. There are those who sought to worship God according to their own ways. We read in the book of Leviticus of two of Aaron's sons who did not heed the regulations of the old covenant system of worship. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. That means that they sought to worship the Lord, serve as priests in ways that were not authorized by God. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. You see, we cannot enter into the presence of God based upon our own imaginations of what it is that God desires. We must come to Him according to the regulations of His own word. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man means that we must do worship as God tells us to. So how does God tell us to worship Him in the Old Covenant? Well, we continue in our passage. It says, describing these regulations for worship, a tent was prepared in the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the section, second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now, in these five verses, we have a quick summary of the worship that was authorized by God for the people of Israel. Worship took place within the tabernacle, and there were these two sections that it talks about. There was the outer section called the holy place, and there was the inner section called the most holy place. In the outer section, the priest would perform their regular worship duties. In this place, there was a lampstand or a menorah that had lights that would shine forth. There was a table, and on the table was this bread of the presence that would be replaced on a weekly basis and eaten only by the priest. It was here in the holy place that sacrifices were offered and prayers were made on a regular basis. The most holy place, though, or the holy of holies, was only entered once a year, and then only by one man, the high priest. This most holy place was behind a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet. Embroidered on this curtain was an angel that was symbolically barring the way into the presence of God, even as the Lord stationed an angel at the edge of Eden to bar Adam and Eve and humanity to coming back into his presence, this angel embroidered on this curtain said, the way is closed. And within the most holy place was the ark of God. This was the very presence of God on earth. For the Lord was said to be enthroned above the ark. This is the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would be allowed to enter into the presence of God, making sacrifice for his sin and for the sins of the people. Now think about that. Once a year, one man was allowed to enter into the presence of God. One man, once a year. And each time he came, he had to offer a new sacrifice. This is how God established and regulated worship. And all this regulation was pointing to one very important reality. The way into the place of holiness was not yet opened. Again, look at verse 8. It says, by this, right, by this whole system of a holy place and a most holy place, a whole system with this curtain and these objects representing the worship of God, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. The message of Old Covenant worship is clear. God is holy, and man is sinful. Therefore, we cannot come into His presence yet. And this is what is key. Yet. 
Because the worship of the old covenant was established to teach us that the way into God's presence was coming. And each of the elements of the tabernacle were to be fulfilled. For the Lord Jesus Christ came declaring that He was the true tabernacle. That He was the true temple of God. That He is the light of the world. That He is the bread of life. That He is the sacrifice for sin. That He is the priest interceding for us. And by His death, the curtain barring the way into the presence of God has been torn in two. And this is the good news of the new covenant. The way into the presence of God has now been opened. Under the old covenant, if you asked, may I come into your presence, the response was, not yet. But under the new covenant in Christ, the answer is given to us in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us with confidence draw near to the mercy seat of God. Jesus, as our high priest, goes behind the curtain, as we read a few weeks ago, into the most holy place as a forerunner, bringing us into the very presence of God. Under the old covenant, it is not yet. But now in the new covenant, all who are in Christ are commanded to draw near to God. In this section of Hebrews, the author is explaining why it is that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. What we just saw is that the new covenant is superior because in the old covenant, the way into the presence of God was not yet open. In the new covenant, it has now been opened through Christ. But the next thing we see concerning the superior nature of the new covenant, is that under the old covenant, the conscience of man was not yet perfected. Look at verse 9 into verse 10. It says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Now, under the Old Covenant, the regulations of worship dealt with outward obligations. There were ceremonies to be followed. There were certain foods that were to be offered and eaten. And there were various types of washings or baptisms. Same word. And all of these regulations were important. We have to understand, God did not impose pointless regulations upon His People. The Old Covenant wasn't a sham. It wasn't a game. Everything that was imposed was there for a reason, and it was there to say, not yet. For example, the various washings. A baptism is a ritual cleansing. So in Mark, we read of the Jews that they would have wa- baptisms, washings, again, same word, of cups and pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches, right? They would baptize everything. And these baptisms were rituals of cleansing where water was poured or sprinkled on an object to make it ritualistically clean. It was an outward display that made a very important 
point. Man needs to be cleansed. By our sin, we have been polluted. We are filthy with our transgressions, and we need to have our consciences sprinkled clean. But the old covenant could not accomplish this cleansing within. The work was merely an outward symbol. The operative phrase in this whole system again was not yet. Even John the Baptist understood this reality concerning his own ministry. For he says, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is saying, the washing that I give is just preparing the way, but it is not yet the true washing, the true baptism that must come about. But one is coming. One will arise, and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with a cleansing fire that will change your heart and will perfect your conscience forever. You see, the way to God is closed because of His holiness, but also because of our sinfulness. Our guilt makes us unable to come into His presence, and yet Now Jesus Christ has come and He has poured out His blood and He has sprinkled us clean with His blood. Not a mere outward washing of water, but a true cleansing of the soul by His Holy Spirit. He has taken away the guilt and the shame so that we can now boldly come into the presence of God. And you have to ask yourself, am I living under an old covenant sense of guilt or in the promise of the new covenant that my conscience has been cleansed by the Holy Spirit and fire? Do you feel as though you remain in the outer place? Are you willing to come to church and be around God's presence but not come into His presence? Are you willing to learn what it means To follow Jesus, but not willing to take up your cross and actually follow after Him. The old covenant maintained the division of the two places of worship to say, not yet. But in Christ, our guilt has been removed. The shame has been taken away. And we are invited to come into the very presence. Of God. The yet has finally come to pass, and you are beckoned, you are called into his presence. Not yet. These two words tell us all that we need to know of the nature of the old covenant. It was a covenant that both restricted access to God while at the same time pointed to and promised open, unhindered access to God through His coming Messiah. Within the regulations, these two realities existed. The way is not yet open. Your guilt is not yet removed. But Christ will open the way. Christ will cleanse your guilty conscience. And the third thing we see is that Christ will bring a complete 
reformation to the way that we worship God. Look down beginning in the middle of verse 9 and into verse 10. There we read these words. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. You see, the people of God had received the promise. They understood the not yet reality. For the, promises, for the prophets continually spoke of a future day when the authorized regulations of worship would be fulfilled and all of God's people would worship in God's very presence. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well. And the Samaritans had rejected the biblical regulations for worship. They had established a false center of worship away from the temple in Jerusalem. And this Samaritan woman asked Jesus about this difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we read her question. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Who is right? How are we to worship God? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Your ancestors say that we're to worship in Jerusalem, in the temple. Who's right? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe in me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Two important things we see in Jesus' response. First, the Jews were correct in their worship of God. They worship what they know. The Samaritans were wrong. They were not worshiping God the way that God had revealed that He should be worshipped. And therefore, it was from the Jews that salvation would come. But second, there is a complete reformation of this worship coming. For Christ will come and fulfill the regulations of the old covenant worship and will establish true worship. Worship that is based on the truth of His Word and empowered by His Holy Spirit. And now in Jesus Christ, the way into the presence of God does not lead through the restricted worship of the temple, but rather true worship occurs in Jesus Christ alone. For by His perfect obedience, through His sacrificial death, through His resurrection from the dead, He has completely reformed the way that we relate to God. No longer on promises only, but in the truth and the power of the Spirit by which we come to be perfectly cleansed and brought into the presence of God forever. 
This is why the new covenant is so far superior to the old. Because the old says, not yet. But in Jesus Christ, we are beckoned. We are cleansed. And we worship in spirit and truth. And yet, I'm sure there are plenty of us this morning, including myself, when we read things like the conscience being perfected, and we say, I don't know if I would say my conscience is perfected. You say, I have access into the presence of the holy God, and you think, I don't know if I feel like I live in the presence of the holy God. We say that the way of worship has been completely reformed, but so often I feel as though I'm worshiping God with my lips, but in my heart I'm far from God. Well, that is because the promises of the new covenant have not yet been completely consummated. Christ has won the victory. He has opened the way to God. He has cleansed us of our guilt. We are clean before the eyes of God. He has reformed the means of worship and He has poured out the Holy Spirit upon His, upon His church. Nevertheless, we continue to wait for the full enjoyment of these new covenant gifts for when Christ returns. You see, we live now not in the not yet, but rather in what we call the already not yet. Which means that the promises have been sealed. They have been accomplished, but we have not yet taken hold of them fully. We continue to wait for the time when Christ will come. To go back to my opening illustration I finally did receive that acceptance letter. Somebody they wanted dropped out and I was invited to come to UGA. And yet, I still had to wait. I had to finish my senior year of high school. I had to wait until I could go to the University of Georgia for several months. And in some ways, we need to think of the new covenant in this way. Through Jesus Christ, we have been accepted by God. We have received the promise that we can draw near to God, no longer hindered by the old covenant regulations of worship. We have the Spirit even now, but we are waiting for the full enjoyment of what Christ has purchased for us for that day when He comes again. You see, we are living in the already not yet. The promises of the new covenant won for us by Christ. Tasting and experiencing by the power of the Spirit all that He has given, but we have not yet received them in their fullness. And so we must wait in hope knowing that we have already obtained our salvation in Christ, knowing that we have already been drawn into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, and knowing that one day all of the not yets will be fulfilled and we will dwell with God, worshiping Him in His holiness forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you and we thank you for the promise of your word. That through Jesus Christ, all of the promises are yes and amen. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection on our behalf, we know that our conscience will be perfected. We know that we will be drawn into your very presence. We know that we will worship you for all eternity. Give us the grace to hold on to these promises, knowing that one day we will obtain them. We pray it through Christ's holy name. Amen.